0: When you look at the life of Jesus, there's so many lessons to be learned from his earthly ministry. And one of the most obvious lessons that that I observe from his life was the fact that Jesus was faithful to impart truth, even if it cost him popularity. You know, in Luke 16, that's where we are. If you have, if you have your Bibles, please turn there, Luke 16. Um, you know, Dr. Luke wrote this book, wrote the book of Luke. He was a doctor, and, and we know about him. He was writing this book to his, his friend, Theophilus. That's what I, b- I believe Luke was doing. He was, he was putting together an orderly account of the life of Jesus. Uh, Luke 1 talks about this. And, and, and as, as Luke progresses through the life of Jesus, he was faithful to To point out his parables, and and at this point in the orderly account of the life of Jesus, he's on his way to Jerusalem, and and he's got quite a following. And it's pretty interesting that that in spite of that following, Jesus he never backed away from speaking the truth, even when it was hard to hear. And 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 when I think about Jesus, no one taught like he taught. I mean, I mean, he, he was accused, even by his critics, uh, by those who opposed him, that, that you teach like one with authority." When I think about um, the teaching of Jesus, it wasn't frivolous. It was intentional. It was it was straight to the point. It was straight to the heart of the issues, and and that's just how he he taught. And in Luke sixteen, it's interesting because because at this moment the Pharisees were sneering at him. They, they were mad at him. They, they were frustrated with him, and that's the context of this parable that that Jesus. Uh, tells. And, 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 you know, the, the struggle of the Pharisees, and we've looked at this for the last several weeks, that, that their, their struggle was that they really loved their wealth more than they loved God. They, they were really focused on this world rather than living in light of eternity. And one of the prayers I have for our church, for my, my life and for us as a body of believers, that we are able to live with eternity in mind. And then I'm amazed at how, how you've, you've got to notice the parables because you see these recurring messages all through the parables. And one of those recurring messages is you've got to live with eternity in mind. And that's what we see here. And, and you know, the, the, the Pharisees were struggling because, because they measured the blessing of God by their wealth or their possessions. And they were just in this trap of living for for this world. And I would argue that this is probably true for many of us. I mean, when you think about it, we too many professing Christians are making the same mistake because with our lips, we say, "God, we want to honor you and we want to honor the Lord." But when you think about it, we're trapped in this temptation of living for the temporary. And, and the truth is, God is moving us, and God's par- the parables are are clearly pointing us to live with eternity in mind, and and that's why we need to pay attention to them, to to, to not only just the parables, but but the Word of God. And now, now I think it's important to note, and that that the parables. This idea, this strategy of teaching through parables was not unique to Jesus. I mean, this was a common practice of of the Pharisees, of the of of God's of, of those that were teaching the law, for example. Parable was a, was a common teaching technique, if you will. And, and, and a parable means to cast alongside. And so it was not uncommon for the, even the Pharisees and, and any teacher of the law, they would cast alongside this idea. But, but the thing that, that the Pharisees would do as they taught, they would use a parable to, to explain maybe an Old Testament law. And Jesus had a little unique twist on, on the parables, Because as Jesus used parables, he was not only explaining what had come in in the Old Testament law, but he was revealing new information, new revelation of God. And and that's important to understand, and that's why we we should should pay attention to these parables. And and now, now, as we study parables, there's something I want to say. We have to be mindful of our interpretation, and, and, and this is a struggle that I've had all through my study of the Scriptures because, because does, do these parables have many meanings or do they have one meaning? I don't know if you've done too much study. There's a lot of debate in theology among, among, among theologians that say, do these parables, do they mean many things? And, and, and it's my belief that, that really these parables have one central message for the, for the most part. Now now, there are thousands of applications that you make you can make, but we have to be careful, especially in light of this parable that that we don't build in like intense theologies over every aspect of, of the parable because sometimes we can get so creative with our "Oh, I bet Jesus meant this or or what about this?" that we can really miss the meaning of of, of the scriptures and, and and, you know, each parable, I believe, has a main truth. And like Jesus often said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He who has eyes to see, let him see. And it's my prayer that we don't miss the main point of what, what Jesus is saying. And I found that that as I've read people and, and people that are trying to look deeply into Scripture, have you ever looked so deeply into something that you miss Really, the meaning of what it really is saying, the obvious. I like what Alistair Begg, he's a guy that I just, he's a Scottish guy. I like listening to him. I wish I could talk like him. Um, But but he always says something like this um, The plain things are usually the main things. And so we've got to make sure that when we study the Bible, we don't miss, we don't try to look so deeply that we miss the plain things. And this is something that happens, I think I'm guilty of it too and and and, and so let's make sure as we encounter this parable, because it's a sobering parable. It's an uncomfortable parable that that we don't miss the main thing here. Now, um, it's interesting as this parable comes. As a result of these sneers, these, um, these, uh, this confrontation of the Pharisees, they're, they're frustrated with Jesus. They're making fun of him because, because they, they obviously were emphasizing the catastrophic consequences of, of abusing wealth and, and living for themselves and ignoring this call of God. And that's why Jesus was so confrontational with the Pharisees. Now, Luke 16, look at it with me because verse 19, he starts this parable. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen who feasted sumptuously every day. So, I, you know, this morning I go to my closet. I go, oh, what shirt should I wear? Uh, you know, Oh, we're purple today. This will be a good day. It'd be a good illustration. Uh, purple was a—it's uh, uh, not as you know—it's not such a status today. But back in the days of Jesus, purple was a hard dye to create. Um, from just what I saw, there was a there was a certain fish, shellfish that they would they would uh, catch and they would could use to dye things in purple. And so it was kind of this status symbol. Okay, uh, that's probably not the case today. I mean, if someone said to me, "Is it Easter today, Chris? Why are you wearing purple?" I'm like, that ah, goes with my message today." But, um, but, but you know, the truth is, this man, Jesus, says he was a rich man, clothed in purple, and, and then he points out in fine linen. What, what does that mean? Uh, he's talking about his underwear, right there. I don't know how he knew that or how he, people guessed that. But, but this guy was so rich that even his underwear was fine. Uh, so I love it. Jesus is fine. I bet he thought, oh, this would be good. He has fine linen. <laughs> I just, I think Jesus is cool um, that he did that. Um, and, and he says about him, he feasted sumptuously every day. So this guy was loaded. This guy was, man, he had it all together. And, and, and look at verse 20. It goes on in this parable. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores. So, so I, again, it points out that this guy was so rich, he had a gate. Now, I don't think this was like the little white picket fence kind of gate. I, I, I see this gate as like a Malibu type place. I mean, we're talking fancy house with a big gate. I mean, I, I picture in my mind, I, I mean, those little, all those spikes on the gate, iron gate. They probably they didn't have electricity then, but if it was automated, I bet it, if they had the option, it would be automated, man. I mean, like, picture camera out front. I mean, that's just what I see. Um, but at the gate, this poor man named Lazarus, verse 20, at the gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus. He was laid there. He didn't get there by himself. Somebody had to carry him. This guy was, was struggling he was uh, so, um, had such struggles that he couldn't even get there by himself. He's laid at the gate. And, and then again, he goes, he's covered with sores. I mean, can you get this in your mind? I mean, not the guy you want to go give a hug to, right? I mean, covered with sores. Uh, I, got, I got bit by a spider once. I have a scar right here on my head, and, and, I, and, and I, I got bit by a fiddleback at a camp. And, and I felt like massive head wound Harry. Have you ever seen that? Uh, but, uh, but I had this big old gaping wound on my head, and I didn't know what it was. And everybody that I would talk to would just stare at that wound. You know, have you ever done that? I was like, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. But Lazarus covered with sores. Um, and look at this, verse 21. And he desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've had stuff fall from my table. We have this annoying chocolate lab at our house that sits under our table, you know, and sometimes hoping that something would fall. And, and, you know, that's kind of what it feels like, that Lazarus was like. Moreover, speaking of my... Annoying dog. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. And I bet this got the attention of the Pharisees, just like it kind of gets our attention. Because in, in Jesus' day, it's probably not so dissimilar to our day. I mean, in Jesus' day, there was this idea that if, if you were wealthy, if you were of status, you were blessed by God. And if you were poor or if you didn't have very much, oh man, you have, you're, you're cursed by God, or you're, you're not walking with the Lord. And we see this all the time in church. Oh, God wants you to be healthy. Oh, God wants you to be wealthy. Oh, God wants you to prosper. I don't see that when I read my Bible. You know what I see in the scriptures? That, that there are times we struggle and this is, what I, this is something we've got to recognize as believers. That, that just because we struggle, just because we go through sickness or tough times, that doesn't mean God abandons us. One of, some of the sweetest times of my life with the Lord have been in the most difficult of circumstances. When I was broken and, and struggling, and I experienced the Lord coming and helping me. And, 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 you know, the Bible says, what, is it, what does Paul say? When you're weak, that's when you're strong. Why is that? It makes no sense. Well, it's because when we're weak, we're turning our face to the Lord, and we recognize that we are not self-sufficient. And so let's it's interesting. These, these Pharisees had to go, oh, man, the rich guy, he's blessed by God. Now there's poor Lazarus. Oh, he's sick. So, man, uh, He's not blessed by God. Do you know what Lazarus means? And the name means it means uh, the one whom God favors. These Pharisees would go, yeah, right, whatever. If God's going to favor him, sign me, sign me up on the other team, right? And, and Lazarus, and here's what's interesting about this parable. Some people will argue this is not a parable. But I think it is. It doesn't say that Jesus said a parable. He just goes into this story. Some people would say this really happened. I think think it's a parable. But you know what's interesting about this parable? This is the only parable ever recorded by Jesus where he used the name of somebody. Every other parable he ever taught, you research it. There's never a name. It's always like a man or, or this tree or whatever, But this parable, this is the only person, even the rich man doesn't have a name. He's just the rich man. But then he says, but Lazarus was at the gate. And, and, you know, I don't know about these dogs. I mean, it's interesting as you think about these dogs. I mean, I I don't like it when my dog licks me. I mean, it's funny to hear. She always licks Robin. And Robin's like, stop licking me. And it's just funny to hear that conversation often at my house. Um, But but you know, it just doesn't seem like it's a good thing that these dogs are licking his sores. And um, but it does seem to point to the fact. I mean, you don't see this rich man necessarily being um, mean to Lazarus. He's not sitting there going, "Get out of my house." It seems like he's giving him some of the scraps, but it does indicate, as you look at this parable, that it's almost like these dogs are being more gracious to Lazarus than the rich man. And then, then it happened, that, that inescapable reality that will happen to every one of us. And this twist in Jesus' story, in this parable, it, it unfolds, and it's the, the, the reality that death took place. You know, what's interesting is I study on these, this topic, which I have extensively, and I recognize that as societies modernize, as we get more and more advanced, and this is true in every culture, death seems to get further and further away. We have this idea that maybe there'll be a a cure for whatever I have, and I won't die. Now, folks, I'm grateful for medical advancements. But the reality is there will never be a cure that will stop you from walking through that door called death. How many 200-year-old people do you know? None. None. We will die, and this is what happens. Verse 22, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. Now, now there are some that when they study this parable, they make a huge mistake, I think. Because they look at this in an economic standpoint and say, oh, see, the rich will will go to hell and the poor will go to heaven. It's better to be poor than wealthy, and this has nothing to do with that. You know, it's also you have to see that because Abraham is listed here. Abraham's in heaven. Abraham was loaded. I mean, that guy was really rich. He's one of the wealthiest men in all the scripture. So when you look at this and, and think about it, you, you've got to recognize that is a twist. That's one of those moments where somebody is going to look deeply into a passage and miss the entire point of the passage. And there are people that preach entire sermons on, 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 on this passage saying it's, it has to do with wealth and poverty, and it doesn't. You know, um, Abraham, for example, was... He was transformed by this relationship with God. So there's some things we can infer that, that, that Lazarus did not go to heaven because he was poor and the rich man didn't go to hell because he was, he was rich. That, that obviously you, you, we know what the scripture says about eternal life and Lazarus was right with God. Now that's an interesting concept because you can be right with God and be in a very difficult earthly spot. So let's recognize that. But, but when you think about the, the struggle of the Pharisees and the message that the Pharisees needed to get is, is the fact that if you live like this rich man, just in pursuit of things in this life, you're missing the point of life. And, and this is why I pray that you, even today, can leave this place going, I will live in light of eternity because that's the mistake the rich man made. And we see some things that, that one of the key messages of this parable is that, is that waiting too long to, to come to Christ is, is a mistake in your life. And I pray that if you, I mean if you're here, I believe God's saying, come to me. And if you wait too long, you could wait too long. And I don't want you to do that. It also, you see in this parable that the decisions we make on earth will have an impact in eternity. You know that, right? That, that even as Christians, the decisions we make on this planet impact us. But, but there are some sobering realities when we look at this parable. So point number one is very important. It's this, physical death is not the end of existence. And this is a, this is a truth we see in Scripture, The the, the physical death, when you walk through that door called death, that that it is not the end of existence. And this is one of those sobering passages where Jesus talks about hell. And folks, do you know that the one person in Scripture who talked the most about hell was Jesus? Isn't that interesting? Because we think, we, like, preachers get criticized, uh, or good ones, I think, get criticized. Oh, you're a, you're a hellfire and brimstone preacher. Now, now I'm not much of a yeller, really, I don't think. Maybe I get, I get wound up. That's why I have this chair. I, it keeps me from pacing because I get wound up and I look like a tennis match up here. But, but, um, but, but you know, the truth is Jesus taught about hell. God revealed his plan for heaven. And and I want you to see this, that because of God's grace, the way to heaven has been revealed. That God did not have to tell us the path to heaven. But because he loves us and because he loves you, he communicated very clearly that, that heaven is a reality. That death is not the end. Physical death is not the end of existence. And the world is crystal clear on this. And this is why as a Christian, as, as one that knows the Lord, we, we, ex- we face death differently. But it's uncomfortable to face the reality of death. And on this day, we've got to. Now, here's what we know about God. God pointed the world to himself. Abraham and, and Isaac and these prophets were revealed by the by this supernatural work of God. These prophets were told, look, there's sin in the world, and sin is the greatest problem, and, 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 and turn, to, turn to the Lord, turn to God. And then these prophets said, look, I've got this vision, this, this, this uh, God has spoken to me, and there's going to be a Messiah that's going to come. And he's going to come in this miraculous way. And then he's going to, he's going to live this life that was in, without compare. And then he would die a, a death that was substitutionary. And then he would conquer the grave. And then his Holy Spirit would be in us. See, this has been revealed through the prophets. And it's interesting that Now, man man has no excuse because God has revealed himself. You, in this room today, will have no excuse because Jesus came. And and if you, I don't want, it's my prayer that you don't reject him. It's dangerous to do that. And, And because of God's grace, the way to heaven has been revealed. But can I tell you this? Because of God's grace, warnings about hell are clear. I'm grateful that there's warnings in Scripture, and this is one of those passages that warn us. Hell is a reality. And I don't want to get so deep into the weeds that I miss the fact that hell will be the experience of many. And... And you know what? These two truths, for me, and, and I, I pray for our church, it compels us to a deep responsibility to share Christ with the lost. And, and I pray that we do this. I pray that we are moved. This is why we will have a gospel challenge every year. And this is why I pray that, that you embrace the gospel challenge that we are, we are issuing as a, as a church this year, that, that you pray for, for one person that you could, could see come to Christ that's in your life. Oh, can't you just pray for one? Isn't there somebody in your life that you're, that you're praying for, that you're, you're on your knees for? That, that if they don't, if they died today, they wouldn't go to heaven. Oh, shouldn't that compel us and, and move us and get us to wake up and not be self-centered or, or living life for this planet only? Oh, my goodness. Savior came. And if this is really true, if there is a real heaven and a real hell, shouldn't that move us to a deep sense of urgency? I mean, because when I look at the scripture, John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I mean, folks, Jesus is the only way to heaven. And I, I mean, I think about the silence for many believers in our church. The times that I've been silent in my life, I haven't spoken up. Back to verse 24. And so this hell is hell is an experience. He called out, verse 24, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between, you, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. Now, I don't know if, if in hell people will see into heaven. I don't know. Um, but, but here's one of the things I do know. Point number two is pretty important that hell will be full of people who never expected it. And you know what? God has put us, he's planted us right here. And he's entrusted us to even expand into Tulsa, to be a light to the world, to be like a city that's set on a hill that cannot be hidden. And as I look at my, as I move into my neighborhood, and as I, uh, as I send kids to school in this community, uh, we are to send lights into this school. We're to be a light in this community. Now we have to be careful with all the details here because um, we, we don't know how all, you, gotta be, you can't build theology on, 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 on the details of the story necessarily, but there are some things, we don't want to miss. And one of the things we see is that, is, is that Jesus used this concept of torment and anguish, which speaks to definite pain. And so there's some things we know. I mean, think about how could God, a loving God, permit hell to exist? How could a loving God do this? In our Bible study, we have a Bible study on Sunday night with a group of teenagers. And we were talking about this last week. And um, my daughter, Maggie, asked a really, really good question. She said, Dad, when, will we be grieving in heaven over the friends that we know who are in hell? And I said, I, I don't know. Uh, but, but, but when we, that's a good question. I'm still thinking about it. But the reality is, when I, when I think about God being unjust and sending people in, in allowing hell to be created, allowing hell to be a reality, do you know what? It reveals my lack of understanding of, of the love of God or the holiness of God. We just sang that song, holy, holy, holy. I'm not sure we really fully understand that. What I said to Maggie the other day, I I said, you know, when we see the holiness of God, I think we'll understand that even this rich man, God did not send him to hell. He rejected God and chose to go there himself. And, And I'm overwhelmed when I see the holiness of God, we will recognize men are without excuse. God is holy And it's sobering for us when we look at this and we understand a few things about hell. I see God opening the window of heaven here and helping us get a glimpse of what hell is like. Hell is an agonizing existence. You don't cease to exist after this life. And the Bible is telling us this. People are full of regret in hell. I think there's regret there's unending, unending anguish in hell. I think when we see the, the, the scriptural reality of, of life after this life, that people have full consciousness. We see this in Revelation 6. There's, there's so many moments of, of this consciousness in, in the next life. There's no escape from hell. We see this. There's no escape. He says, Sorry, there's a chasm there's no there's no rest there's no hope and god by his grace has been faithful to warn us and i think about this i had this experience years ago when i was in europe and um and and i was I was 19, and my dad, we went to Eastern Europe, and I was on this bridge over the Danube River. And as I was on this bridge, it was fascinating to me because uh, I, I just didn't know the language, and I was walking around. I was kind of by myself. I was off by myself, and I, and I hear English. And I was like, I, I, know, I know that. I recognize that. And, and it was a John Cougar Mellencamp song. Jack and Diane. And I was like, I know this song. Where's where that coming from? And there was a group of College, looked like college kids. They were had their guitars out. And they, were English, they were Americans. They, were, they had this huge crowd around them. I mean, and they were just busting out John Cougar Mellencamp. And it was massive. I, I tried to weave through the crowd, and I got up to the front. I was like, oh, man, those are Americans. And then I kind of walked away, and I heard English again. And it was praise song. I was like, I know this song. And I, and I walked over, and, and there was a group of Campus Crusade people. They had about six, seven people around them, and a couple of them were singing. And they were just sharing the gospel. And I caught myself standing between these two groups and looking at this huge group of people over here and this small group of people over here. And God brought this verse to my mind. Matthew 7, 13 and 14, where Jesus said, Enter by the narrow gate the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those are few that find it those that find it are few and that was one of those moments in my life where I said God I just want to stand here as a 19 year old and say to you I want to be a part of of this I want to give my life to this, to making sure people know about you. That's our call here. That's why I love it that God has called us here. Because the world needs Christ. Verse 27, look at it. Because Jesus takes this parable down an interesting path and We'll hustle a little bit, but the rich man says, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they they also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. He said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. You know what's interesting about this? So many people are saying, God, show me a miracle. I'll believe you if you show me a miracle. And Jesus makes this statement, look, even if you see a miracle, a miracle like someone coming back from the dead, you're not going to believe. You know what's interesting is John eleven. If you look at the timeline of Jesus, really, I don't know if it's weeks or days later. John eleven tells the story of Jesus and his friend who, Lazarus, who was dead. And what did Jesus do? He went to his house, and he and he was dead for three days. The Bible says in, in John 11, he stinketh, he stunk, he was dead. And Jesus said, open, the, open it, Lazarus, come forth. And he walked out of the grave, John 11, 45 through really 50, 53. You can look at it later, I'm not going to read it right now. He raises Lazarus from the dead. You know what some of these Pharisees said at that point? Let's kill him. We've got to kill Jesus and Lazarus. Isn't that interesting? I mean, he brought someone back from the dead, and yet these men said, let's kill him. And Jesus said in verse 31, he said to them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Point three is important, and you just gotta think about it because I don't have time to unpack it. But this parable powerfully points to the sufficiency of Scripture. Folks, God's word is true. And it's my prayer that you recognize what, The prophets have said that you see what Jesus has done. And I just want you to know there's power in the revealed word of God. There's power in it. And every part of it must be taken seriously. And today is the day to trust Jesus. Today's the day. If you're here today and you you don't know Christ, you know it's interesting in, in the rich man's lifetime God had spoken to him in many ways. Because what does he call him? Father Abraham. He knew about these prophets. He knew. But but he still didn't repent. He didn't turn to the Lord. Think about Mark 836. It says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world yet lose his soul? Have you ever asked yourself that question? What about you? Look, this is a confrontational moment. What I love about Jesus is he didn't walk away from confrontational moments. And I won't either. If you died today, do you know that you'd go to heaven? What are you trusting in? Are you trusting in you? Are you trusting in Christ? Are you living for this world? Are you investing in eternity? We're going to have an invitation, and let me explain that. You know, we're going to have some guys down front, some ministers down front. If you have questions, you can come and talk to us. If um, you just want to come and pray and just get things right with the Lord, uh, one of the things that we've got to be able to do is move when God tells us to move and not be afraid of that, but to embrace that. So how has God spoken to you? Are you living in light of today? Are you raising kids living just with this world in mind? Oh man. Don't miss that. Would you come to Jesus today? Are you going to push him away again? I oh, don't